Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Welcome to the Israel Conversation Season 2. This is Episode 1. My name is Kalev Bendor. I'm very, very happy to be joined by Mike and Liel. How are you both doing? All right. How are you doing, Kalev? Pretty good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. It's been quite a summer. Indeed it has. So we, I think we should, we should emphasize that most of the time that we publish and we record these things, it's not related specifically to, to live events. But today's Tuesday, the 25th of July. It's the day after uh, the Knesset passed a very controversial bill about cancelling the Supreme Court's ability to push back against legislation, citing the issue of reasonableness. Uh, a time of real, I guess, controversy in Israel and, and a lot of arguments between between different sides. And so we thought we would do something slightly different today in that we would just have a kind of classic educators discussion about what's been going on, different ways of, of framing it. So that, that's what we're going to do today as part of uh, season two, episode one. Just, just to start before I... A very special episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You don't remember those? In the 90s, it was always like you'd have these promos for a very special episode where they would deal with some social topic. Ah. You know, the, the original title of this podcast back when it started in 2015 or 16 or whatever it was, was The Teacher's Lounge. And it was just to record teachers having conversations about what's going on in the news. And then we we got less connected to current events because other podcasts jumped up and filled that space. But today, it's a big enough issue. We're going back to that Well, you classic. quote Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I would quote West Wing. And if you remember, oh. and hopefully listeners... Do watch West Wing. If you don't, you should probably turn this off now and start watching it. But the beginning of season three has has comes just after nine eleven, mm-hmm. and they have a whole thing. I don't know if you remember that was a great about, about Isaac and Ishmael yeah. when mm-hmm. when the students come in and Toby's there and there's they a lockdown, etc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this will probably be less successful than that West mm-hmm. Wing episode and Fresh Prince of Bel Air. But anyway, so I think when I think about this, when I teach it, when I I talk to people about it. I think part of the difficulty of discussing this is that there are, within this issue of judicial reform or regime change, or or depending on your position, what you want to call it, there are three overlapping but actually quite separate issues. I I live very near uh, the, the president's residence and very near Netanyahu's house. So I'm always hearing the demonstrations and I'm passing different signs, etc. And I walked past on, on Derek Aza in Jerusalem the other day and there was a sign, it was a pro-government sign, and the sign said, uh, As in the government, we change via the ballot box, not the street. And I think the first issue that people are arguing about here is, what is democracy? Is democracy... Well, I'd say obviously democracy is free and fair elections. But after we've had free and fair elections and the government gets elected in and it's supposed to represent the majority of the people, what should be the government's power? Uh, what should it be allowed to do? And to what extent are just kind of minority rights and other things? What, what's the balance between those things? I think that is one classic thing of when we say democracy, we all say democracy. Certainly the protest is democratia, but everyone is saying democracy and they mean different things. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is one debate going on. The second debate going on is what should be the role of the Supreme Court in in Israel. And there are, I guess, kind of three or four main issues that the people who take issue with the Supreme Court are particularly 
annoyed about. One, the Haredim are very upset about the Supreme Court keeps on pushing back on issues of, of IDF enlistment. Supporters of uh, Israeli settlement in the West Bank are annoyed that when... It, it, it's interesting, I'll just... A small tangent. The Supreme Court never really rules on whether settlements should or should not be built. They do rule on when settlements turn out to be built on private Palestinian land, and those, those houses need to be uh, taken apart. And what a lot of people were annoyed about the Supreme Court for were, was its position on, we can choose our word, infiltrators, uh, refugees, asylum seekers, economic migrants, and various governments tried to encourage these people to leave, and the Supreme Court pushed back and said, the, the actions of the government were disproportionate. And there's there's this larger thing of we can't win the war on terror or we can't beat Hamas because of the Supreme Court. But th- there are several critiques of the court. And I think that is also, that, that that's debate number two, and that is a legitimate place of debate. Does the Supreme Court abuse its power? Does it overly use the issue of reasonableness, et cetera, et cetera? That is a, a second debate. And the third debate is the specific plans of the Netanyahu, Levine, Rothman, Smotrich, Ben Gvir government and what they want or wanted to do. And I think part of the difficulty of discussing this is often one group of people will say, oh, the Supreme Court is terrible because of XYZ and, and they'll be focused on debate number two and other people will be focused on debate number three. Okay, maybe, maybe not, but w- what you're trying to do is to completely destroy the court or undermine any checks and balances. So so for me, when I when I think about this issue, those are kind of the three areas. Again, they're, they're obviously connected and they overlap. But in some ways, I think often we speak past one another because we're actually relating to different questions. So again, this this this, this happened yesterday. Obviously, one section of, of Israel is, is very happy about it. And we saw in the Knesset people were taking selfies. And another chunk of Israelis are very despondent about it. And so I guess the question is, how as educators can we and should be should we be discussing this issue? Mike, what what do you where 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 does this where does this meet you? Well, I guess, I guess an issue that I don't I don't know that we should be discussing today as educators on this podcast, but it is an interesting question. As an educator who has an opinion who has a side, how do you handle that in front of students? And I always think, personally, be honest, state your position, and then educate and talk about it as clearly as you can and ask the students, do you think I was... But whatever, that's a, that's a different... That's more of a pedagogic question than an understanding the situation question. I think, as always, Khalif, your your framing gives a sense of clarity to what's going on. I think that issue two, what's the role of the Supreme Court, and issue three... What is this government really intending to do? Are obvi- I, I think to a certain extent are, are different sides of a similar coin. In other words, issue two, you're sort of framing from the perspective of the Israel's right, which is, and this is real, and this is not, I'm not saying this in any way to, uh, when I explain the ideas behind both sides, I'm framing them as, these as legitimate concerns. The right has a feeling that the members of the court represent people who think like the left, and there's nothing they can do as even when they win at the ballot box, to get what they think would work for Israel to happen. And so therefore, they've been working since the 1990s, when the Supreme Court took it upon itself, this role of judicial oversight. We want to do these things to make Israel better. We survived Oslo. It didn't work. We've been living with this hand-tied administration of we want to deal with all sorts of problems. 
And the Supreme Court is simply an obstacle breaking us from being able to do what we want. We now have to fix that. So, and the other side of the debate is you can't really have a democracy with, without a Supreme, in the democracy issue is democracy. The other side is basically saying democracy isn't just whoever wins gets to do what they want. In a liberal democracy, the rights of all individuals must be protected. Laws have to be just, all, all sorts of other things. Issue three, I think you may have framed from the more from the left side. In other words, there's a sense so that issues two and three maybe are two sides of the same coin. The left feels, here we are, the great, and, and it's the center also. Let's be fair. It's the center and the left well, of Israeli. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's Gideon Saar and it's Ruby Rivlin and it's... The president. Who, 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 yes, exactly. As in who, who, who are cla- saying, classic former Likud MKs. Yeah. You can't hand over the keys of this state, the majority of whom are not orthodox, to basically control of three orthodox parties. Two of them are ultra-orthodox. One of them is Zionist orthodox, whatever you call it. And then Likud, which is just willing to do whatever they want and enabling them. And and what you're doing is shattering uh, secular Israel from being able to function. And we can't live in that. We, we Some of you are calling for open theocracy, and we can't do that. So, so the fight is two and three. There's a fight for what the identity of Israel is going to be that goes above and beyond. I don't think the streets are full of people. I don't think Saturday the, the, the street, you know, Route 1 from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was filled with hundreds of thousands of people over a civics debate. I think it's, I think it's more over identity. Do we let the Orthodox frame the identity of this state? And 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 this is an emphatic no that a, that a modern democracy has to separate religion and state, and the religious can't direct us. I think today, just in today's news, since we're doing a timely episode, which we don't usually do, the Haredi parties have proposed a new basic law. Basic laws can limit Supreme Court decisions, saying that since Israel is a Jewish state and learning Torah is a Jewish value, anyone who learns Torah doesn't have to serve in the army. That's a very you know, short, you know, that that's that's basically this new basic law they want to propose, which is, I think, exactly what people are protesting about. The right has a sense, and I see it from right-wing critics. Look, you didn't like our four proposals of the override clause, of how we're going to change how Supreme Court justices are appointed, that legal advisors to politicians won't have to be obeyed, and reasonableness. We passed a watered-down version of the original framing of reasonableness, and your closing off all the streets of Israel shows us that this was never about civics. It was only about you don't want to let us win an election. That's why that's that's the sign you saw, Khalif, that you're just trying to change the... You lose at the ballot box, so you're trying to win in the street. And I think... I think that what they're not what they're not understanding is is that the other side is saying if we give you an inch you're going to take a mile. And this is you've just broken it down into the first step of the road to theocracy. And if we if we it's true what you're saying. This isn't the full uh reform package. This is a watered down reasonableness clause. But if we let go on this, it's all going. We have to show you that you cannot do this. That there's no way. And what the Haredi parties have done, the ultra-Orthodox parties have done, by proposing this bill today is essentially a message to say, yes, we will, that the war is on, that this is going to be essentially an Orthodox 
run state. This is not something that will pass. Politically, I think this is like dropping a hand grenade in your lap. The Likud won't pass this. Like this is, this. There, there is a, I think the bigger issue now is that the vast majority of Israel in the center left, center right, and center center want a compromise so that we can move forward and fix and 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 deal with what's weird in in and what's lacking in the Israeli system. And extremists on either side are framing the conversation so poorly. The current uh system of political communication is so unhinged that we can't do the things we need to do. And and there's all sorts of reasons complicating it. But in the long run, the extremes are going to burn each other out and the center will hold and we will move forward. That the, that the sense of panic and the sense of celebration being engendered by extremes on both sides. Oh my God, the sky's on fire. Yes, we've won. Let's, let's now make learning Torah the basic law of the state, I think are both silly. So it's, it's a troubling moment. It's a difficult moment. I think the center will hold, and, and you see people speaking exactly to that, that unity is more important than any of these issues, and that consensus will have to be reached at some point. Okay, fantastic. I mean, just, just as you were speaking, I was reminded, something I should have said at the beginning, is that for those who are interested in this, uh, episode one of season one deals... Of our a, new format, yeah. But yes, exactly. Which uh, was was published sometime, I guess, mid-February, but we we talked we we did a debate about the judicial reform but i, I should just add that was recorded uh, in late november it was a month after the election it was a month before yariv levine gave his speech mm-hmm. setting out what needed to be happen what 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 he wanted to happen uh, and mike and i say this to his credit in his argument said people will be brought out onto the street they will not let it pass and at that stage in late November, I did not imagine what was about to happen. And and you you were basically right. I also said they will probably fail by going out into the street and the laws will pass and will have to be reckoned with in the future. If you listen back, that 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 this government is is thinks it's it's its identity is it's necessary. I didn't realize how much I certainly underestimated what taking to the streets would look like, and I estimate, underestimated the level of success they would have. That three, one, one, one of them, the override, Netanyahu says we're not doing, and and uh, the other two, he says we'll get to. Yeah, without the without the protests, we'd be in we, a very different we, a very situation. different place. Yeah. So anyway, for those who are interested, you, you should absolutely check out um, uh, the the debate about judicial reform. Uh, Liel, where where does this moment meet you? Okay. Um, okay, so I'm unfortunately going to be a little bit more pessimistic than Mike is. Um, it's nice to hear optimism. I'll be honest and say that I, for the last two, three months, have been traveling around the country. I'm a tour guide. This is what I do. So obviously I'm paying attention very closely to the news, but not delving into it, not spending a lot of time in it because I just don't have mm-hmm. that time. Um, but what I am doing is I'm all around the country, constantly talking to people about this, and then obviously teaching people about this. Um, And I find that the more that I ask around, whether that's the Arab bus driver or whether that's the right-wing speaker that we had who, you know, identifies as a right-wing settler, whether that is, I find that I get, you know, the voices of the people. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from as an educator, back to your your question, Caleb. I'm less optimistic than Mike is because the idea of finding a bridge for the center, the idea of coming back to this 
concept of unity, which I see a lot of people writing about. Um, there was like a really kind of cool video that came out the other day, which was taken on uh, on the train station in Jerusalem, I think it was, where you had the protesters on the right coming to Tel Aviv. You had the protesters on the left going down to Jerusalem. Um, and it was this kind of nice moment where they were on the escalators trying to like touch each High other's hands. Little, and yeah. yeah, it was sweet. That's kind of like those, you know, uh, silver lining moments that we constantly have in Israel all the time. And then when I think about it and I come back to those conversations that I've had with the people in the streets and the people that I'm meeting, I keep coming back to this idea that at the end of the day, there's two camps, so to speak. And there's a group of people who want to see the country go in one way, one direction. And there's a group of people who want the country to go in another direction. And I was having this conversation yesterday with some of my staff and I was saying there's an issue of vision. And that's that's kind of where I've, I've come to as of now. There's an issue of vision and the visions, uh, whereas maybe in previous uh, years, right, because a lot of people talk about the, the Rabin assassination, a lot of people are talking about the Gush Katif, right, and making sort of parallels to this and how they're similar, how they're different. And I think the difference between those time periods and now is that I still feel like there was a mutual vision at the time. Like Israelis all in all had a mutual vision of where they wanted the country to go, what they saw, how they wanted to live, what kind of country they wanted to live in, who, what kind of government they wanted to live under, more or less, the rights that they would have or not have, the types of people that they would be living with or not living with. And I think now I just feel, at least based on the people that I'm talking to, and again, these are just your average random Israelis, I feel that there are very, very clearly two camps. And it's awesome that people talk about being in the center and it's awesome that people talk about unity and that's really nice. I don't see it. I can't see it. Uh, I'm sorry to be the, pes- be the pessimist in the room. Mike's always um, the optimistic one. Um, and he's apparently Dang also it. the predictor of the future as well. So so maybe there's uh, still hope. But that's what I'm feeling, I'm sensing, because I don't I haven't seen yet any conversation between these two sides with these two different visions that actually can come to a place of, okay, unity means X or compromise means X or our, our, our mutual vision or a vision that we want to create together looks like this. I think it comes down to this issue of where is the red line for your rights, right? Where there is a red line for the liberalism that we allow in this country or don't allow in this country. And I think even amongst the people who are on the, on the, in the center, if you if you delve down deeply with them and really get into the to the nitty gritty of a conversation of how do you what kind of country you want to live in, they also split into one camp or the other. Maybe not in the same extremity as the extremes that we're seeing do, but at the end of the day, they are on one side or the other. And yeah, so that's that's kind of my sense. And I think going back to Kalev, what you were saying about this idea of democracy, I've had multiple conversations with neighbors, people that I grew up with, people that supposedly are in my camp or or have, you know, the same life experience as I do. And when we got down to it, this conversation around democracy was so significantly different in terms of how I understood it versus how they understood it. Um, and that really shifted my whole perspective in terms of like what's really going on here at the core. So I think, you know, the question of what's really going on here at the core is is something that I I'm always trying to think about. You know, if if we look at the if we look at the current government and the last government, in some ways, this is Israel. Both of those things. We've got, and by the way, Mike, it's, it's funny you say, you know, as, as an educator, to what extent should one's personal positions come into the discussion? In in one of my Israeli politics classes, I've got one class on Netanyahu. And I go through um, why the people who love Netanyahu love him and why the people who hate him hate him. And I say, you know, the 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 the, the, the goal will be that by the end, you, you won't be 
hopefully I'll be able to present both in, in such a, an efficient way that you won't, mm-hmm. you won't be sure exactly, where, yeah. where, where, where necessarily I am. But, um, What's the current what's what's the current government look like? The current government is a is a Likud that I'd say the the populist branch has completely pushed out the national liberal branch. And we know this because those people are found elsewhere now. We have a religious Zionist party where there's a piece I wrote a while ago about about Bennett, where I basically argue that Bennett and Smotrich represent two different Two different perspectives on on what religious Zionism is. Um, just you know, Bennett lives in Ranana, married to a secular woman, observant lifestyle, ex ex uh, elite army, high tech, um, had a had a Knesset aide who was a lesbian, didn't bother him. Uh, when Pittsburgh was uh, you know the the reform shul in Pittsburgh was attacked, he went out to stand with his Jewish brothers and sisters. That is, and he's a religious Zionist. We've got another type of religious Zionism reflected by Smotrich, lives in the West Bank, proud homophobe. His wife said she didn't want to be touched by an Arab nurse when when she was pregnant, etc. Reformed Jews aren't real Jews. Now, both of those components are to be found in religious Zionism. We currently have, so we have a Likud where the populists have pushed out the, the national liberals. And we've got religious Zionism where the Smotriches, for the moment, have have pushed out the Bennetts, mm-hmm. and we've got a, a a former Kahanist, a neo Kahanist, whatever, in the sense of Itamar Ben Gvir, who's, who's very much pushing. That is that is the current government, mm-hmm. but there's a previous government which had the complete opposite. It had Bennett, it had the it had the the, the national liberals of, of Likud in the form of Giron Saar, it had Arabs, it had leftists, and these these are two different governments, and these are two different directions that. The country can go in, so I, you know, I, I don't think, and, and I think that form of government, even taking, and they are now currently way ahead in the polls. That right, exactly. Yeah. And 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 the other week, I heard a an interview, a podcast with uh, Gadi Eisenkot, the former chief of staff, and he said that the the Machaneh Hamamlachti, what, what do we call it, the, his political party with, with Gans and the, Saar, uh, the, the national. national National unity, something camp, like that. something like that. The Mamlachti, the statesmanship, national statesmanship, yeah, it is an attempt of the classic statesmanly centre left, Gantz and Eisenkot, and the classic statesmanly centre right, Gidon Saar, to come together in in one party. So I think the whole, you know, right wing support and they are they that party and that party is according to polls in the least way ahead. So the whole framing of you know there's right wings who support and then the, the, the left who are against, it's not quite like that. We we've got we've got a populist Likud, we've got a particularly I would say radical reading of religious Zionism, and we've got Kahanis, and they're setting the tone. But on the other side, and not just a bunch of leftists, there, there, there's there's a large. So in some ways, I don't know. I don't know where the center is, but there are a large chunk of Israelis who happen to be against the, the reforms, but they are there. They're, it's not just, you know, there's extremes on one side, there's extremes on another. There's a large chunk of people in the center who are heavily opposed to the reforms, but could well form some sort of alternative. And as Mike said, again, I, I personally am not, I don't think polling, you know, more than three weeks before an election is particularly useful, but are ahead in the polls, so so you know we- it, it's it's not useful for predicting the next election, but it is it is sort of a uh, uh, a weather vane for where the country is at this moment, and in 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 the in the cultural 
uh, ripples created by the current fight, Gantz is the one who's benefiting, which which tells you something about where Israelis are thinking. So I don't know what that means for the next election, but I do know that it does tell me something about Israeli voters and how they think. Look, I, I may be an optimist, but I'm not a uh, I'm I'm not a uh, a Pollyanna, and I and I and I think that it would be a failure of imagination to understand that if the parties you're describing, which don't believe in democracy as we understand it, succeed, then Israeli could cease being, it's possible. But those polls are one of the reasons ultimately I am optimistic because there is a pushback. And in in a democracy, as long as elections are held fairly, that matters. And so when one extreme pushes too far, uh, there is a reaction, there's a bounce, there's a, to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so, and so, you know, this basic law is going to build votes for guns. And 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 I would say this too. I, I think you're rightly as in the base. Sorry, the basic law about Torah Torah study. If you're as telling a Israelis value. that we have to accept that it's a basic Israeli legal principle that that serving in the army is not an equal responsibility of every Israeli, but those who learn Torah do not have to share the burden. That is going to go over like a lead balloon with the vast majority of Israeli voters, including the religious Zionists, uh, certainly of the Bennett camp, of the more uh, of, of the non-fundamentalist religious Zionists. But I don't think it's going to go over well in large segments of the fundamentalist religious Zionists either. And it's, you know, the politics works, and I've, I've said this before, works by addition, not by division. And by micro-focusing agendas to get what this, you know, what we, the ultra-Orthodox Haredi parties want. And that's going to be either that or we break the coalition. That's division. You're making your personal issue that you know has no consensus. Consent. The bigger you build your consensus, the more you win in the long run. Even if short-term you can have tactical success, you will have strategic failure. And I, and I think you're right, Liel, that uh, Israelis do have a different end vision of what they want Israel to ideally be. But where I would disagree with you, I think, is that I don't, I don't think that's changed so much. When I was, when I was a, a younger fellow, I used to look at the, you know, like, let's say, you know, I grew up many decades ago, many, many decades ago, let's say, you know, 1980s Reagan era America. I wasn't a Republican voter, but I, but the sense of, you know, Ronald Reagan going out for drinks with Tip O'Neill, the, the left-wing Democrat, after, you know, at the end of the day and doing it and making sure the press saw it, the messaging was we all agree, we disagree on method, but we agree on goal. And I used to pine for an Israel that could be more like America. Sorry, but Mike, but that, that's why I brought up the, the Gantz, yeah. Eisenkot, yeah. Sa'ar thing. yeah. And the former, they're proposing, uh, and, and and the former government, the, yeah. the, the Bennett, Lapid, Abbas, yeah, 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 yeah. etc. As in, this is this is not this is not a right and left thing. This is correct. A, this is a particular exactly. current government, exactly, and a large chunk of people on the other side who, even if territorially West Bank wise, they heavily disagree. Yeah, Rivlin, Saar, etc. Yeah, do have a shared vision. Yeah, um, about the Israel as a democracy component. Yeah. Well, let me let me just finish my point about what I think I may have been naive about as a young man was that that veneer of civility was masking what was actually underneath a lot of very different visions of what America was supposed to be. And that what you're seeing in American politics today, when you rip off the civility, is a real fight over is America multi-ethnic or mono-ethnic? Is America all those things that you couldn't politely fight about? 
uh, now our, our the American political system doesn't really know how to resolve those types types of conversation. Israel, and as much as I used to bemoan the lack of civility and politeness in Israeli politics, Israelis have never been polite, and they've always had their arguments right out in the open. And so those different visions were articulated always, and the fights were bare knuckled. All po- all politics is 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 rough, but Israel's lacked civility. That's not good. I'm not defending that. But I will say this. We all know where we stand. And the building of the Gantz coalition and the Bennett coalition in the previous government is a sign that we have different visions, but we have to work together is gaining ground. That going through going through the process of if America's loss of civility is leading to a more dysfunctional political conversation, in Israel, it's always been a sort of dysfunctional conversation. And and the lack of civility meant that we always knew we were pulling. The Haredim are not pulling in the same direction as the Arab parties who are not pulling in the same direction. Let's be honest, even in the Bennett coalition, the Arab parties were not pulling in the same direction as Gantz and Bennett. And so, and 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 President Rivlin brought up this issue of different tribes and how are we going to work together. That's an ugly, difficult process to work through. And so it's going to hurt along the way and there's going to be real pain along the way. But I think we at least agree that that's the, that's the, that's the process we need to do. Nobody said, or it wasn't within the Overton window. It wasn't within mainstream conversation to say, Ruvi Rivlin's an idiot. We're supposed to be different tribes and we're never supposed to be united. And the Haredim and the religious Zionists and the secular and the Arabs, it's fine for us all to be, let's build four different countries and societies. That was not an acceptable response to Rivlin's challenge of how do we create a united Israeli identity. But that's because it's not practical because we're not enough people. Again, I'm going to go back to the people. Right now, the two populations that are that are growing the fastest are the Haredim or the ultra-Orthodox and the Arabs. And both of them have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And both of them, in in some in, in an interesting way, are very much um, I guess coordinated and and appropriately like um it's a horseshoe uh, connection. Yeah it's a horseshoe connection exactly but not just to one another but to the region that we live in. Like mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about this idea that it's crazy to have a liberal democracy in the Middle East. It's mm-hmm. an insane idea. Mm-hmm. And so, and I see that a lot of the Israeli population, at least those who voted for Ben Gvir maybe, or are or, or happy uh, or content with the direction that the government's going right now, maybe connect more to that. Because maybe their roots come from, uh, specifically, their roots come from this region. And maybe this their definition, the, specifically, this is one person I'm thinking about, but this is what I learned from our conversation together, which is his roots come from this region. And therefore, the way that he understands democracy or understands power. He understands yeah. power. He doesn't understand it, democracy. It, so he would call it democracy. And that's the argument that we were having. And me coming, I'm Ashkenazi. I come from the United States. I have this like liberal Western way of understanding the world. And and from my perspective as a, as a Zionist, that's kind of how I follow what Zionism means to me or what living in a liberal Jewish democracy means to me, um, how I want to see uh you know, issues on rights uh, uh, come forward or how I want to see issues on the minorities come forward, right, in our society. And it's significantly different. And I find that the difference between me and them is that they often choose, you know, security and and religious issues over, which I call like the Jewish part of Jewish and democratic, over the democratic element of it. And I think this is, again, going back to what I was saying before, this is like sort of where our, our 
paths separate. I agree, I agree with you that I think that we've always had this conflict and this tension and somehow we found this like status quo to live in. But th- again, the more that the or- ultra-Orthodox and the Arab parties grow in numbers, right, I, I, it's a concern. It's a concern and it's a thought process around, okay, practically speaking in 20 years, in 25 years. So what does this, um, this, this unity between the two sides look like? What is this sort of like agreed upon status quo that we can kind of come to and, you know, every side's going to compromise and every side's going to get a little bit of what they want. How does that look? What is that? And I think up until now, we've been able to find it because at the end of the day, the liberal Zionists were the majority. I don't know. There's just no, I don't think that's why. Okay. Why? Why do you think? I think it's because when you sit down to have the conversation, you have to adapt to the conversation. Ben Gvir, for all his many problems, and and by the way, his shrinking approval numbers, is a complicated politician. But he's had to, and and in order to gain many of the votes that you're talking about, has had to modify the way he talks. And we can debate what he believes and what he doesn't believe. But to function in Israeli politics, he's had to change his at least his words. And his part, his party is seemingly that that coalition of the, those ten seats of those three religious Zionist parties seems to be more or less holding in polls, but his personal politics is 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 not working. His I'm the guy with the power. Everybody listen to me. He's getting less power even in that ten percent of voters. It just doesn't win elections. It just doesn't. And today, with the Haredi move of this new bill, this new Torah learning bill, you have people in the Likud saying, let's break the coalition, publicly, let's break the coalition and make a center unity government with Gantz. Now, I don't know that that's what's going to happen Mm -hmm. in reality, but that's the conversation today in Likud openly. We cannot work with these people because the fringes cannot dictate to the masses. That the ballot box creates a gravity that can you can you can resist it, you can push against it, you can use your whatever physics force you're using to defy gravity. But at the end of the day, gravity always wins, and you you it, 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 you can't pull away from that forever. And so, what you're seeing is a process of what what Rivlin feared that these growing distinct things are going to try, and 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 the best. You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Success is the mother of of strategy and tactics. Uh, I know that's pretty, uh, maybe you could help me sharpen No, I was wondering where you were going with it because- you're... In other words, I think these guys are going to fail. I'll put it very bluntly. Crash and burn. They're going but to crash. their ideologies self- are not going to crash and burn. The people who stand behind them and still, the, should still they. don't want to nor see a state that, for example, allows gay marriage- Right. They don't want to. It doesn't matter. Right. They don't want to see that right. kind of a democracy state. is made of people who, who who fundamentally hold on to their positions. That's good. That's healthy. That diversity of opinions. But in the process of how do we make this work together, you have to come up with methods that work. I'll give you an example. I, when I was moving uh, to Israel, somebody said to me, oh, you probably want to live in a, one of these like Orthodox, because I'm an Orthodox Jew, you probably want to, where you have to sign that you're going to keep Shabbat. I said, I would much rather live in a diverse city than a mono, you know, a homogeneous community. And they said to me, everybody says that and nobody means it. At the end of the day, everybody wants to live with people like them. And I said to him, yeah, what if me, when I say I want to live with people like me, I mean people who want to live in a heterogeneous community that can have diverse, interesting, different opinions where we respect each other. That's, that's my tribe. Whether I pull that off or not is a different question based on where I live. But, <laughs> uh, but what if... 
the thing that we agree about is exactly what we're fighting over, the rules of the road to how we have this conversation. What if we have to come up with a modus vivendi with, with our different opinions? We're going to have to work together, which means we have to compromise, we have to make agreements, we have to come, which usually ends up towards the consensus. When Winston Churchill said that demo- the famous often quoted, you know, democracy, how, how does it go? Is the best, is the worst form of government other than all of the other oh, ones. Something like that. Something along that line. Something like that. That's very non-Jeffersonian, right? Where Jefferson argued that that the, the, the problems of democracy are not bugs, they're features. The inability of anybody to get everything they want recognizes that you will always have sus- different aspects of society, have different agendas, different issues. That's not bad. That's good. Because if one monolithic vision overrides the others... And, and you have these interests that focus on one demographic, then what you have is not liberty. You end up somehow getting closer and closer to fascism. What you want are different people with different issues and different agendas working against each other. And in that balance, come up with a way to live together. And the, that's the best, healthiest thing for the country. Rav Cook wrote, you have these three, he, he was talking about in very broad terms as three. He said, you have the the... Those who pursue the holy, those who pursue the nationalism, and those who pursue uh, liberalism. Universalism. He called it liberal. The word in Hebrew. Oh, really? He wrote the word liberalism, and when he explains it, he says that's for universal values. But he wrote mm, in Hebrew. Ah, interesting. I remember this very clearly because I had a high school student when I was teaching this to a high school, back when I was a high school teacher, who said, Rav Cook never used the word liberalism. So I showed him. It's in our wrote. I mean, it's, so he used the word liberalism as those seeking universal values. By the way, the camp he was talking to, Ben-Gurion, to Liel's point, were not... Locke Rousseau people. They were not Jefferson people. They were socialist Marxist people. And they were the, that, that, those are the ones Ruff Cook was defining as the universalists in that sense. But he said a society is made of when people passionately stick to their position, but also listen to the other. And therefore we rein ourselves in and we come to some sort of, we, we, we resist extremism by being in an honest conversation with the people who we strongly disagree with, not, not thinking everything we say is right. But we listen to each other and we grow. That's part of why we want a state is because it forces us to be in that boat where we have to unite and listen to each other or we will self-destruct. This is being recorded. You're saying it's timely. This is the nine days. The ninth of Av is in a few days. That our, that our That's not a rabbinic cute idea that our divisions are what made us fail in the second temple. Literally, when Vespasian came to Jerusalem to destroy it, the Jews inside were killing each other and, his, and Vespasian's men said, this is at least according to Josephus, so as accurate as, as this historical source is, Vespasian's men said, well, shouldn't we build the siege engines? And Vespasian said, wait for them to finish killing each other. It's gonna, what's your rush? And then Vespasian had to leave and Titus took over and eventually Titus would destroy Jerusalem. And son of a gun of Jews still weren't fighting against each other. And, and, and we're seeing the success of some of those, it's my way or the highway in politics at this moment. I just don't think that wins in democracy. I, 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 if it does and democracy ends, then you're dealing with a very different set of problems. So if, if, if you know, the power approach, the, I don't know if it's neo-fascist or whatever it is, the, the, it's not about rights, it's about power. And whoever has power gets what they want. If that approach wins, then Israel really is... That's what this country is about. And the experiment has failed. But that's what this country is about. That's it's, what our politicians are all about. It, they And if you look back, you can see it's not just today. No. 
I can show you quotes from the, I can show you quotes. By the way, <laughs> when Ben-Gurion ordered the Palmach to shoot down the Alt Elena and kill the revisionist Zionists on board, that is the worst example of the people in power win approach in the history of Israeli democracy. And it is a, it is, it, it plays the role in Israeli society of we never want another Alt Elena. That is part of the national narrative that we never want another Alt Elena. And, 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 and there are those who say, why not? We just think the wrong guy was shooting. We want to be the ones who have the mortar mm -hmm. that can shoot the liberal Alt Elena. Those guys, I don't think will win. Maybe I'm a cockeyed optimist, but the center of gravity is with the center. It's with the people who are saying no more Alt Elena, no more fascist power. Democracy is about freedom and liberty and coexistence with people who you strongly disagree with. I hear you and I hope you're right. And I'm just going to say that I hear you saying a lot of a lot using a lot of the word conversation, being mm -hmm. in a conversation. Mm -hmm. We're very good at being in conversation. Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, someone as well. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but at the end of the day, someone has to uh, institute laws mm -hmm. and make decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that's where I'm worried at that point. I think we're very good at being in conversation, very good at being in debate. But, but what I'm saying is I think that this is exactly because I agree with you in your in your description of the problem that we don't come from this history, this Anglo system, this post Magna Carta on of let us let us reason together and come to a set of rules that we can abide by and, and, and a modus vivendi of people with differences to function together. Because that's not Middle Eastern, it's not Mediterranean, it's not former Soviet Union. So many Israelis don't have that. What I'm saying is this is our adolescent moment as a nation at 75, where we confront what it would mean. And I think there are going to be enough Israelis who are saying we're not willing to abandon the mission of this state over any particular issue if it means sacrificing the idea of the state itself. And, and if there were extremists who say, but that's not the state we want, I think there are more Israelis, many more Israelis who are saying, but that is the state. We want a state where all Jews can live together and be respected. Well, thank you both very much for those very beautiful words. I just just want to end with with one with one other thing, which I, I think the framing of Jews v. Israelis, in some ways, I think it does a disservice to the second group because again, you, you you've got the Naftali Bennett's, you've got the Ruby Rivlin's, you've got a whole chunk of people also pushing back against the government mm -hmm. who would say, no, we're also we don't 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 tar us in inverted commas with the primary. We're also Jews. So we think this that respecting the different opinions of others yeah, is Jewish. This is our, our Jewish tradition, and, and and based on that, we want whatever. But uh, and the non the non Jewish Israelis are also very much part of the conversation. Yes, and exactly, the ballot box, exactly. Anyway, yeah. thank you both. I, you know, this is obviously a, um, an an issue that's uh, that's obviously changing by by the day and by the week. And we look forward to you joining us for the rest of season two. Bye bye. Been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.